we are continuing a sermon series out of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Corinth way back in the first century A.D. Corinth was a crazy place. It was famous for its sinfulness, its licentiousness, its anything-go attitude, spiritually, morally. Uh, it was uh, a very, uh, you know, it was a very... It was a city we would recognize, in other words, uh, a lot like our cities. And, and Paul is writing to Corinth really to, really to get them in order, um, to encourage them uh, in what it is like to live out faith on a daily basis. It's a letter that's very practical about taking what you believe and making it real. Uh, and he's giving them some practical advice about how to live out faith together. He's giving them some stern uh, admonishment about getting sin out of their bodies so that the, the spirit of the Lord can dwell there and so that they can be the living tabernacle that they should be. And then long about chapter 12, he starts talking about these things called spiritual gifts. He says that every believer, every person actually, has been given supernatural ministry gifts from God. We all have different ones, but we all have them. And only when we come together and work together do we have the complete set. And so he encourages them, if you want to live out your faith in a practical way together, you have to get really good at using your spiritual gifts together, making space for everybody to use it, encouraging everyone to use what they have. And then... Then he pauses in the middle of that discourse and he says, now let me talk about love. Uh, because if you have gifts to use, if you're all trying to do good things together, then you have to get really good at love. Love is always the standard of our behavior and our ministry. And we get 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, which is just this poetically styled meditation upon love. Use your gifts selflessly. Live your life selflessly. That's how you know you're in accord with the Spirit of God. That's how things will be fruitful. And then he shifts gears again from chapter 13 to chapter 14. And he goes back to talking uh, about uh, spiritual gifts and, uh, and how they should be implemented, particularly at an assembly, at a, at a church gathering, uh, much as, as we have this morning. And whenever, whenever I think about uh, <laughs> spiritual gifts being orchestrated, at a church assembly, um, I think about this experience I had once uh, when I was on a, a missions trip. I was, um, I was traveling in Cuba at the time, a uh, season of my life where I, I went frequently to Cuba, which is an island that I really, really love. I was traveling the eastern end uh, of the island in this uh, city called uh, Santiago de Cuba. And, uh, and uh, there's this local pastor that took us uh, to this neighborhood that was really, uh, really rough. It, it looked like it had just been bombed and blown out, like some sections of Cuba do. Uh, very poor. The streets had not so much potholes as craters in them. And there are all these rusted cars lying around and really thin people and starving dogs. And, and uh, there were like, you know, groups of people hanging at the street corners, drinking some kind of liquor and sort of dressed in, in rags. And, and he took us to this house church. He took us to this church and introduced us to the couple. Well, it wasn't a church, actually. It was a house. And he introduced us to the couple who lived there, who were the pastors of the church. And they said, oh, uh, you're, you're visiting uh, from the United States, me and a few friends. Um, let's do church. You know, you're here. Obviously, you have brought us something. 
So they sent out this signal. I don't know exactly what they did. They rang a bell or something, and people started coming from all over the neighborhood. And, and a few of the men got together, and they just broke down the house. They just, they, I don't know what happened to the furniture, but it all disappeared. There's this tiny little cement house, but it became a church with room for about, for about 30 people. So they stuffed about 65 people into it, and, and they sort of put us up front, and they said, okay, go. Go. Uh, so... You know, I turned to the team and I said, well, let's just do stuff, you know. So I got up and I shared a little greeting and some sort of reflection on, on scripture and, and maybe a story or something. And maybe I gave a prophetic word to somebody. And then there was another guy on our team who was like, I want to share a testimony. So he got up and he shared his testimony. I remember it succinctly because I had to translate it into Spanish. And he spoke in the most convoluted sentences. And, you know, like I would have had to translate his English. And, and I was trying to put it into Spanish for the crowd, but, you know, everybody received it really well. And then uh, the pa- of the pastoral couple of the church, the, the mom said, all right, now I have a prophecy. And she stepped in front of us. And I remember she was nursing a kid at the time. So she had a kid nursing at one breast and she was prophesying to the crowd, you know. And just like everybody was just like being blown away by the Holy Spirit. And the kid peed all over the floor in the middle of the prophecy. And then, then she mopped it up with one hand, still nursing the kid. And then it was like, ministry time, everybody. So I said, who's sick? And, you know, they're all sick. So, um, so the four of us on the ministry team just waded into the crowd and just started laying hands on the people that we could touch. And the spirit of the Lord was there for healing. And people got sick. And this woman threw down her cane and started doing this because she had been healed from some sort of, I think it was arthritis in her knees. She was her Spanish was too fast for me to understand. And somebody else like vomited on the floor because they were delivered from a demon. And uh, so we had deliverance ministry and healing ministry and prophetic ministry and testimonies and preaching. And, and somebody walked in from outside. And, what is all the racket? And a few of the brothers just kind of jumped around to him and didn't talk to him. Just started praying for him. And he just started weeping and just knelt and gave his life to the Lord right there just because the presence of the Lord was strong. You know, the spirit of conviction was there. Everything was happening at once, and it was like the most gorgeous ballet I'd ever seen. It was so well-ordered. It was so fruitful. It was so full of life in this, like, way crowded, unbelievably hot little house church. And I've always thought about that evening in terms of doing church. What is church after, after all? It's when the family gets together and everybody does what they do. You know, everybody has spiritual gifts, And when we come together, all must be done for the common good, Paul said in in chapter 12. Um, I saw it in a pristine fashion that evening in a house church in eastern Cuba. Um, I think in large part because they had nothing else to bring except what the Holy Spirit has given them. Right? That makes sense. And we just got to share in it that night in the spirit of what did you bring? What do you have from the Lord? How about you guys? Put it all together and we have a very, we have a life party uh, with the Lord. And I really think that that's what church should look like all over the world. That's what our church should look like. Uh, we just have to be mindful that we have certainly nothing better to bring than what the Holy Spirit has brought us uh, to bring. And that's very much the spirit of 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, We'll be reading excerpts from that chapter. You can follow along in the back of the bulletin or it's going to be up there on the big screen. 
Or here's a thought you could follow along in a Bible, uh, which is a good book. So what 1 Corinthians 14 is, basically, is it is a case study in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 says, everybody has spiritual gifts. Everybody must use their spiritual gifts. When you come together, everybody should participate. You should do it lovingly. When you come together, you should do it in a way that serves others. Let me give you an example. I want to talk to you about how to use certain spiritual gifts when you come together. Just kind of fill it out for you. Follow the way of love, Paul says. Remember, I just finished 1 Corinthians 13. So follow the way of love. Yes, follow the way of love. Do that. Do what I just said. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Implication being, if you're a loving person, you'll want tools with which to love people. So follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. You know, especially prophecy, the gift of prophecy, which is a gift of revelation, sort of supernaturally getting information that you would not otherwise know, you know, downloads from the Lord and such. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the whole church. We have to pause here and read in between the lines a little bit. Evidently, what was happening when the Corinthians came together in church is that a lot of them had the gift of tongues. And so they would just kind of, I don't know, stand up in the assembly and start speaking in tongues because that was a gift that they could do. And, and it became sort of like a badge of honor or something. Uh, we have seen that. We saw that early in the history of the, the 20th century church in America. People were saying, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. So when we get together, everybody speak in tongues and then we'll find out who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And you know, people can get stupid about stuff like this. And uh, evidently, people were being stupid in the Corinthian church. Uh, speaking in tongues out loud in a gathering was the way that you proved yourself spiritual. And Paul's like, well, that's stupid because it's not very loving. Uh, when you speak in tongues, it edifies yourself. I mean, it's, you know, it's like a spiritual language that is bypassing your brain and blessing your heart. But... When you speak prophetically, you're edifying, you're blessing the people around you. And what is love? Love is emphasizing others above yourself. So, prophecy is better in that situation. A little further, he says, tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. I'll explain that in a few minutes. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone is just speaking in tongues and inquirers, I believe the better word might be seekers, or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I like this. Imagine everybody kind of speaking in tongues, babbling in some language that they don't understand. And a visitor walks in and says, yep, they're psycho. I knew it. And then they just go home. Um, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everybody is prophesying, getting revelation from the Lord, then they are convicted of sin and, uh, 
and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Imagine a visitor walks in and somebody says, hey, uh, this is what's going on in your life. God tells me. And they're accurate. That's going to, you know, he sort of paints a mildly funny picture where like, you walk in and, and the prophets tell you your deepest, darkest sins. It's like, well, this is for real. And fall down and worship God. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? He continues a little further down. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time. And then someone must interpret the tongue uh, so that everybody understands what was said. If there is no interpreter, the, spirit, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. You can pray in tongues under your breath. In the same way, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The, spirit, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. The chapter closes with this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues either. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything should be done in a way uh, that helps people and loves the people around you. Uh, in other words. Uh, there's much more in that pack, uh, chapter. I have just excerpted it uh, in, uh, well, uh, specifically... Uh, there are three and a half verses about the role of women in worship. Uh, they are very controversial verses. You will notice I have left them out of, of this week's passage. Uh, and if you will just bear with me, I won't talk about them this week, but I will talk about them next week. We'll just spend a big hunk of time on it because, uh, uh, you know, ladies are important. Right, dear? they're controversial and I want to explain it and stuff like that. So just set that aside for a week. It's an essay about spiritual gifts anyway. Um, so basically what Paul is saying, when you come together, everybody should be eager to use their spiritual gifts. But we shouldn't do uh, stuff that only edifies ourselves in a meeting. Uh, tongues is primarily a gift. Uh, your prayer language is a gift that you use to edify yourself. It's for prayer between you and God. So do it on your own time. Um, don't make a lot of noise with it when we come together because that's just going to confuse people. And, you know, do that on your own. Uh, instead, do things that are really focused on other people, the people uh, around you, because love is other-centered. That's the way of love. Um, don't waste time on things uh, that are just as good done by yourself. And certainly don't spend time doing things that confuse or distract or intimidate other people around you. Um, you should uh, do things in a manner that is intelligible and accessible to everyone, even newcomers. 
even seekers should be able to walk into your church and to more or less kind of understand what's going on and, and what you're about. Why? Because we want everybody to feel loved and everybody to have access to what's happening in the congregation. Is that clear? Yeah? Can you just give me an amen? If you agree with me, uh, could you all just start praying in tongues on the count of three? One, two, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I think that that's probably intuitive. Uh, I think, you know, Blue Water Mission is at a place where we kind of get that. Uh, who are the ministers of the church? Yeah, everybody. All y'all, as our Texas friends say. Um, and we know that on Sunday morning, everybody is supposed to minister, right? And one of the reasons that God gives gifts to everyone is so that everyone uh, gets to jump in and, and minister. And we should uh, minister in a way that blesses other people rather than just glorifies ourselves. Do I need to preach any more about that? We got that, right? That makes clear. Because if we did anything else, we would not be loving. All right. Got it. That's clear. We will put that stone down, uh, and we will move on uh, to the next one. I just wanted to make a comment about this. Uh, tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. You have to kind of read this in a larger context and also understand um, what was going on in the Corinthian church and, and how their evangelism sometimes worked. Um, Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Wait a minute. Paul just said that when a non-believer walks into a church, when seekers come into a church and everyone is speaking in tongues, that will turn him off and he'll go away. So how could tongues be a sign for non-believers? And I think what he's saying is when a non-believer gets touched by the Spirit and suddenly speaks in tongues, when a non-believer walks into the presence of the Spirit and begins speaking out loud in some language that he does not know, miraculously... That's what we call a sign, right? That will be a sign for the non-believer. Has anybody ever seen that happen? Church, yeah. We, we actually see it fairly frequently, like our Holy Spirit retreats and the other things that we do uh, around the church. Uh, we have these Holy Spirit retreats every so often where we invite uh, particularly newcomers uh, to, to attend and we teach a little bit about the presence of God in the here and now. In other words, the Holy Spirit. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon people and stir them in their gifts or impart gifts to them and generally give them supernatural power. And as in everything that we do, we often get seekers, people who haven't made up their mind about Jesus, attending those retreats. And we'll just pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And, and not infrequently, uh, they will feel the presence of God come upon them, get a lot of supernatural power, and just sort of spontaneously begin speaking in, in tongues of different sorts languages, some of which we recognize, some of which we don't. Uh, and then, you know, that happens, and, and one of the ministers will graciously say, so, you know, how do you feel about God now? Um, is, that, is that a sign to you? You remember that Paul himself was converted uh, to following Jesus in a very supernatural manner, uh, something of this sort. He was on his way to Damascus to basically beat up and kill Christians, and he was kind of blinded by a light from heaven. The presence of Jesus just sort of manifested in, in front of him. Uh, he was literally blinded for three days. He got carried into Damascus until a believer named Ananias came to him, laid hands on him. He was healed of his blindness, and he was filled by the Holy Spirit. 
by then, he was following Jesus. He decided that he better get serious about this, this Lord Jesus that he had heard about. So in that way, supernatural manifestations, like tongues, when you receive them, even as a seeker, can be a sign to you that God is kind of into you. And that can be really helpful on your spiritual journey. At the end of the service today, we'll invite people to come up and receive ministry directly from the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of the prayer ministers will lay hands on you and, and just, you know, invite the presence of God to come and, and to give you uh, whatever you need uh, by way of encouragement. Really effective outreach. Does everybody understand that bit? You got it? Prophecy uh, is for believers because if I stand up and say, hey, this is what the Lord is saying today, you need a little bit of faith to understand that. And you need a little bit of faith to use prophetic ministry well because it always feels a little bit of a risk to step out in it. So that, that's what that section means. Are you following me? Give me a big amen. All right. And then uh, I, I think, uh, well, throughout few different times in the chapter, he, he, he makes this emphasis on, on inquirers or seekers, uh, our non-believers. Uh, he says, look, don't, don't just come together and be babbling in tongues and just sort of, you know, indulging yourself in whatever spiritual gift you got going on, because that, that's not very accessible to the seeker who, who walks in. He says, uh, you know, if, if tongues are going to be used, make sure that they're interpreted so that seekers or newcomers can understand what's going on. Always prioritize the newcomer, uh, he says a few different times in, in this chapter, um, which I really appreciate. Um, <clears throat> at, at family gatherings, any of you guys have big families? Yeah? Do you ever do like family reunions or big family parties and stuff like that? <clears throat> you get together... Who is the star of those occasions? The stars are always uh, the newest babies, right? So, so, so is the newcomers. You bring in a baby and it's like, you know, we've grown. We've done it. Our genes will be passed on to successive generations. Um, and that's, that's just a passion of every family. And it's a passion of the family of the Lord as well. So if somebody shows up and, and you know, they've, they've heard about Jesus, they've heard about God, maybe they're kind of interested, maybe they were drugged to church against their will. Um, but that, that is always the most important person in, in any gathering because that is the opportunity for new life. That is the opportunity, uh, you know, for growth and an increase of love. And again, this is always about love, right? Uh, and so whenever we get together, uh, it really shouldn't be celebrating ourselves. It should always be about being open to the next person to come along. Uh, Jesus instructs about that consistently in the Gospels. You have 99 sheep. Are you happy? No, because there's one sheep still on the outside who is wandering uh, not in the flock, unsafe. So you leave your 99 sheep, which is stupid because, you know, when sheep don't have a shepherd, they scatter. You're going to come back. You're going to have a mess to clean up. But Jesus is like, no, a good shepherd will endure that in order to get the, get the additional one to come in. You know, it's always about the newcomer. It's always about the person who's 
just on the outside of faith that you want to bring into the experience of God's presence and love. You agree with that? No? So when we come together in church, it's, it's lovely to see your friends, but really it's about making new friends. Right? Do you agree with that? Can I get an amen? Can I get a, a bigger heartfelt amen? Chihu? Just warming up for the worship retreat. That's all we're doing. Okay, and then we get a portrait of church in this passage. And it's a portrait that I, I really love. What shall we say then, brothers, when we, brothers and sisters, when we come together? Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. And everything must be done so that the church may be built up. You have to have... A, a balanced diet. You have to have a varied diet of different spiritual gifts and participation in order that the church gets built up and, and grows. And then he gives instructions about how that should work. Um, if somebody, say, feels like they should speak out in a tongue at church, great, you know, but they should take turns. Two or three should go, and we should make sure that everything is interpreted so that the newcomer feels oriented well. If somebody has a prophecy, they should take turns, and the other prophets could weigh what is being said and arrive at conclusions together. Um, I love the picture of church that he's giving us. Uh, the first thing is everyone gets to play. When we come together, everyone gets to play. It's not just about the superstar who gives the sermon. No matter how incredibly gifted and stylish and holy he may be. I get, I get no love. I get no love at all from you people. Um... No, this is a family gathering. This is not a, a, a star performance, right? So everybody gets to play. Everybody needs to participate. All must be done for the common good. On any given Sunday, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. It depends what you bring. And you should all be in a mind to bring something. You should all be in a mind to bring something. Everybody brings game. Everybody brings game. What, what game did you bring this morning? I'll just give you a moment to reflect on that. What game did you bring this morning? What gift, uh, what ministry idea, what loving effort did you bring this morning? Go ahead. How many of you got nothing on your mind right now? You have no idea. Raise your hand, big and bold. Big and bold. You got no idea. How many of you have a specific idea? It's intimidating to raise your hand either way because you know that if you have a specific idea, I will probably call you out and make you do it, right? So let's see those hands again. Who has a specific idea what they're doing today? Fantastic. I see your faces. I got you right now. Okay. Um, everybody, everybody gets to play, uh, and this shows the spirit at work rather than some Christian personality at work, Right? It shows that the spirit really does inhabit uh, every person. The only way that we get a complete set of gifts is if everyone plays. Uh, it's hard for me 
uh, from the pulpit to show hospitality to everyone. It's hard for me from up here to show compassion to everyone, but you can do it uh, in, the, in, the, in the family mass, you know. You can hug someone, you can pray for someone, you can encourage someone. Everybody must be ministering. Everybody must constantly be taking care of other people. Why? Because that's the way of love. And that's the standard that Paul has set uh, for the, the family uh, gathering. Uh, the challenge that he speaks to, though, I, I think it's, it's fun. Uh, he talks about orderly worship. He says, look, if you're going to share a tongue, take turns. If you're going to prophesy, take turns and work together, people. And you can understand why he would have to say that. Because he says, when you come together, um, each of you has a hymn, you know, a song to lead out on, or a word of instruction, a little teaching to give, or a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation, or original song to sing, or dances to give, or welcoming, or prayers and prophecies to share with people, or art uh, through which to interpret the will of the Lord and give us everybody's doing something and if everybody actually participates what is the challenge going to be? Well, orderliness is going to be the challenge. Right? Some, somebody's going to have to figure out how to make it all flow together because it could be just massively chaotic. Why could it be massively chaotic? Because all of you might come with a prophecy or a word of instruction or a tongue and then it will be up to me or other leaders to kind of decide how to, how to navigate that and, and, you know, who's up next, who's on deck and stuff like that. That would be a problem, but it would be a glorious problem, would it not? Wouldn't that be awesome? Would that be awesome? I think that would be hilariously fun. I think that would be great because the Spirit would be in it. And every, all that I would have to do is just kind of figure out what the Spirit is doing in any given moment. That would be great. It would totally cut down on my sermon prep. Um, we just sort of come together and everyone would be at play with the Holy Spirit for the sake of loving one another. That's church. Do you like that? Yeah? Really? Because you know who this obligates, do you not? It obligates you. Right? It means that you have to... You know, know what you're gifted at, and you have to come with a mind to participate uh, in, in love. Um, so, uh, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. How many of you are eager to prophesy this morning? Yeah, great. Uh, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. You know, he's not saying tongues are bad. He's just saying make sure that you use them lovingly and not, like, chaotically. Um, and you imagine that he's saying other things too. You know, use the gift of leadership and the gift of giving and generosity and compassion and hospitality and administration and everything. You know, everything should be done in a fit and orderly way. Everything should be done in a way that hangs together. And that is really the challenge of church, how to make it all hang together in a way that is edifying and loving the end. There you go. 1 Corinthians 14. Who is pro 1 Corinthians 14? Yeah. Who would rather choose a different Bible? All right. Yeah, I thought so. An intimidating question. A few takeaway points uh, from his observation. Uh, uh, number one, I think just recognize this as a portrait of the family gathering. 
At church, there is structure, but there is not a script. The content of our time together is determined by the move of the Spirit during our time together. We need to be creative, not quite improvisational in the sense that, you know, we do have, you know, some ideas of what's going on, but really creative in that we're going to give the Holy Spirit a leave, the leave to accomplish what he wants to leave. It is demonstrated at church that everyone is a minister. Everyone plays. Maybe not everyone on any given Sunday, but everyone is working together. There are other places to minister other than Sunday morning, right? We got the small groups. We got the prayer outreaches. We got the missions. We got the, you know, we got the KQ ministry over there in the other building. Plenty of ways, but everyone should be ministering in some way, at least on, on a weekly basis. It should be that people can find God here because we're giving the Holy Spirit leave to work. And so they should encounter the presence and the ministry of the Lord. If the Holy Spirit is in charge doing stuff, then anyone who walks in will get attention because the Holy Spirit attends to everyone every day. Right? That's the only way for us to do that effectively. Um, Someone is always in charge trying to make things orderly, which means making things accessible to everyone so that nobody feels left out or confused the end of the day. And the priority is always placed on the person who is new, the person who is seeking, inquiring, checking things out for the first time. That's the most vital person in our everyday. Uh, church is welcoming. It's, it's egalitarian, you know, grassroots. It is graciously ordered. It is a culture, right? It's not an institution. It is not a structure. It is a it is a kingdom culture, you know, by which I mean um, uh, everyone has the right values and the right expectations and the right God. And if you have those things, everything will work out. So takeaway points, number one, participate, please. When you come, participate. You know, 50% of the reason uh, we start with worship is because that and musical worship to boot is because that's a language in which we can all participate together. Uh, and please don't waste that time. Treat, please don't treat it casually because that's a very unifying, love-expressing thing that we do. And if you kind of just, you know, walk in, don't really participate, you know, if that's coffee time for you, you're missing an opportunity to kind of get started in participation and loving together. And then as the day goes on, you have your ministry eyes open. You're looking around for people to care for. You're listening to the voice of the Lord. Maybe you have a testimony or a prophecy that can be shared, uh, etc. Everyone is bringing something to use. Everyone. Uh, number two, uh, love others. Now. Uh, you are here and the the reason you are here is to love somebody. God will take care of you. Somebody will love you. Your job is to love uh, somebody. So it's not about self-realization. It's not you know, just about discovering uh, yourself uh, in the Lord. You discover yourself in the Lord by loving other people. That's the process. That's how you know who you are and what the Lord has purposed uh, in your life. Uh, this is about accomplishing a mission together. Your gifts are for the common good. You are for others. And others are for you. That's love. So diagnostic question for you. Are you loving somebody right now? 
Have you loved somebody today? The service is almost over. Have you managed to love somebody yet? That's just a great little self-inventory. Uh, what are you going to do to love somebody when I say break? Uh, and an obvious and practical point, and we'll just end with this, and this should be a hint to the prophetically gifted people in our midst. Uh, pursue prophetic guidance. Prophecy is a great gift when we come together as a big gathering because prophecy is the voice of the Lord speaking. And if the Lord is in charge, if he is distributing gifts, if he is on the move, then probably it's nice to get marching orders from him along the way. It's vital. I say frequently that, um, <clears throat> that the foundation of my life uh, is the wisdom and the stories, the revelation that comes down to me through uh, Scripture and the history of God's people that Scripture represents. You know, that's kind of the foundation. The shape of my life has really been determined through prophecy, hearing the voice of the Lord and acting on it in great faith, which is to say the shape of my life has depended upon God in the here and now. You know, my living relationship with God. Uh, and that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me to come to a place where we might actually hear the voice of the living God in any given moment. That you might be shaped today. You might be changed today by something the Lord says to you. Is that exciting? I mean, that's life with the living God. And that's letting God be God. Which also happens to be uh, the spirit of, of worship. All right. So let's pray. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, ministry team people to come up. Uh, it would be a great time to have prophetic words for individuals. So you have 30 seconds notice. Be prophetically gifted people. But what I'm going to pray specifically is that the Lord um, stirs you in your gifts. And your willingness to move in the attitude of love uh, today. I mean, that's, that's community. The presence of the Lord among us always translates into love one to another. Church should be the most exciting place in the world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do pray uh, that you inhabit your people, <clears throat> as the word says. I ask, Lord, that you would come and dwell among us. We give you a place to dwell. Your presence, your spirit, your purpose, your power, and your love in our midst, Lord. May it manifest through each of us, we pray. We desire to be part of the family. Come, Holy Spirit, even now. We submit ourselves to love. and to expressing love through the tools that you give us. We are, after all, your people. And we thank you for graciously making us a family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.